if you don't have a Bible, we have a whole bunch out in the foyer. The stewards can get you one. Um, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. Um, as a church, we've been going through Matthew's gospel over the past, uh, I don't know, five or six weeks, but it's going to take us about two years. Um, it's really exciting. It's an incredible book, um, incredible letter from one of Jesus' followers, one of the earliest followers, Matthew. And it's his account through using other people of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has come to do. And it just worked out, I wasn't even planning this, but it worked out as I did the preaching roster that we would, on our first anniversary and our baptism service, we would be doing a text on Jesus' baptism. So it worked out so well, it's like, you know, God's in control of all things and you can see that clearly here. Um, and so we've been, we've been, the first three chapters of Matthew's Gospel has all been about Matthew trying to paint this picture of who Jesus is, this identity, this He's the son of Abraham, he's the son of David, he's the king of the world, um, he's the son of God. All these identities are coming through. So he's built, built up this massive picture and this beautiful canvas of who you know, Christ is and he's shown us these different pictures and places and different elements of who he is, Old Testament prediction and prophecies and all that. And now we're finally getting to the moment where we're going to meet Jesus as an adult um, and he's about to begin his ministry. So let's read Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the, jo oh, to, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a year ago, um, I was ordained, uh, which means that um, the elders of our local church set me aside um, after studying me, judging me, <laughs> critiquing my character, assuring that I was, you know, a, a, a good student of the word. They laid hands on me and set me aside for the task of being a preacher and a pastor. Um, it was one of the best days of my life, to be honest, uh, such a privilege and a joy it was a holy moment, a special moment to have Dave Taylor, who you can see there, our senior pastor at Southern Grace Church, Burunga, lay hands and kind of this sense of fear and foreboding on myself of what I was getting myself into. Once you study what a pastor does to feed the sheep, lead the sheep, care for the sheep, protect the sheep, equip the sheep, all these tasks and, you know, that sense of like, that's my job. That's what I do now. My, my full occupation is to care for these people. Uh, and there was a high and holy calling. Um, now, my ordination was awesome. I loved it. I enjoyed it. It was a beautiful moment. But it's nothing like, you know, the ordination we see of Jesus Christ in this passage. This passage marks the beginning, the inauguration of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, his ministry and mission to the world to save sinners. 
My ordination was good, but this is on another level. As you're going to see, or as you read in the text, you know, there was no voice from heaven saying, this is my son. <laughs> He's the best pastor in the world, because that God can't lie. Um, you know, so there was no moment like that. The, the Holy Spirit didn't descend on me like a dove, none of that. But as we're going to see in this passage, it's a holy and reverential and powerful moment. And from here, everything in human history changes. Everything in the rest of the book of Matthew changes. But one of the questions you may have asked, if you know anything about what baptism really represents, dying to sin and coming to new life in Christ, or if you remember last week we were preaching on John the Baptist, he was a baptizer, and he was asking people to repent of their sin and commit themselves to the kingdom of God. So one of the questions that we've got to ask when we come to this passage is, why does Jesus get baptized? You know, the Christian doctrine is that Jesus is without sin. He doesn't have anything he needs to repent of. So why does Jesus get baptized? Well, we're going to see this today. We're going to see that in Jesus' baptism, or that Jesus is inaugurated for ministry in his baptism, so that we can be united with him in ours. Jesus is inaugurated for ministry in his baptism, so that we can be united with him in our baptism. There are two points today to kind of unpack that sentence. Point number one, Jesus' baptism. Point number two, our baptism. So let's jump in to our passage with point number one, Jesus' baptism. So to give you a bit of context, remember John the Baptist was preaching, thousands of people were coming out, traveling from all the areas to hear this wild man in camel hair and locusts and honey preach about repenting. And all these Jews who had grown up going to temple, doing all the right things, eating the right foods, not doing the bad things, doing the good things, they were convicted by God and the Holy Spirit to come out and repent, which means to turn from their life and turn to God to actually admit that all that they had been doing wasn't good enough and that they needed to reject that and come and prepare themselves for the coming kingdom. See, John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so all the crowds and all the people were anticipating Jesus Christ the King coming. And they were waiting, or not Jesus, they weren't waiting for Jesus Christ. They were just waiting for the Messiah, the King, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament to come. And they were hoping, let's get ourselves ready. The King will come. We'll take Israel. We'll take the world. The glorious reign that's been predicted in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the prophets. It's all coming. It's all happening. And so everyone came out and got baptized. Now, not everyone did it for the right reasons. We saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They weren't really ready to repent. They were just looking on and criticizing. But interestingly, we see in verse 13 here that Jesus is eager to be baptized by John. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, from Galilee to the Jordan River is about 120 or 30 kilometers. So Jesus walked from here to Wollongong to be baptized. So it wasn't like Jesus was just in the area shopping. He's like, I might get a bit of John the Baptism. You know, let's, let's do that. That sounds good. Everyone else is doing it. Let's jump in. It's all the rage. Now, Jesus is in Galilee, compelled by God, knowing that he has to obey God. And part of one of the things that Jesus has to do is be baptized. So why Why does Jesus need to be baptized? It's a bit strange, isn't it? Well, 
you're not alone in thinking that if, if, if it's a bit strange for Jesus to be baptized. John the Baptist thought that himself. Let's read verse 14 again. Now, so Jesus comes to John. You could imagine all these people around. He's just walked this long journey. He's like, I need to be baptized by you. And John's in the river going with his, you know, just camel hair. I'm assuming he had the hair on, although maybe he was, you know, hairless, shirt out, you know, chest ripped. I don't know what John the Baptist looked like. I imagine him like that. But anyway, he did 150 push-ups a day, most likely, um, which is, yeah, some of the guys in the church are doing that. Anyway, John the Baptist is in the river, and Jesus comes and says, I need to be baptized by you. And John says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You see, John the Baptist knew his place. We learn in um, the previous you know, section we read last week uh, that you know, John the Baptist said this. He said, I baptize you to the crowds with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John knew his place. His place was to prepare the way for the coming kingdom of the Lord, to prepare the way for God's kingdom to reign on earth. And he knew that one was coming after him who was mightier than him. And then Jesus rocks up, whom John knows is to be the Messiah. And John's so confused, like, why am I, being bapt- why am I baptizing you? You're the greater one, I'm the lesser. John knew his place, even though John was actually the greater one. He had all the followers, he had, you know, the massive feed, he had everyone following him. But he knew that Jesus was the mighty one to come. So what does Jesus say? Verse 15, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that is John, consented. So this answer that Jesus gives somehow satisfies John the Baptist. So why is that? Why does this answer mean that Jesus, okay, let's, he should be baptized? Well, first, no, two things in it. Number one, Jesus says, let it be so now. He's saying to John that this is a temporary, you know, a temporary arrangement, me being baptized by you. This isn't you know, the, the permanent arrangement. John the baptizer, this is sort of like the ending of his ministry to some degree. It's come to fruition and fulfillment. Let it be so now means that at some point it's going to change. And as we're going to see later on today, it does change. Jesus institutes his own baptism. So let it be so now. That helps John go, okay, this is not forever. And secondly, he says these important words. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And that basically means we we must complete this task that God has given us. To fulfill all righteousness in Matthew's gospel means to do all that the Lord has required you to do. Um, It's not 100% this idea of cleanliness or purity, but more down this idea of like God has said it, therefore you do it. That's what it is to be righteous. And so Jesus has this idea that God the Father has given him this job to be baptized. Remember, up until this point, Jesus hasn't preached, Jesus hasn't taught, presumably hasn't done any miracles, healings, exorcisms, no cleaning of, you know, like lepers, nothing like that. Nothing has happened. Nothing has happened because this has to happen first. So how does this fulfill all righteousness? Just a few few points to help answer this question. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Well, it fulfills all righteousness because he obeys the Father. 
pure and simple. God the Father wanted Jesus to be baptized. And so by Jesus being baptized, he's being obedient. And he's actually fulfilling righteousness by doing what God has required him. You know, which is one of the reasons why we ask people, even if they're being baptized as a child, to be baptized as an adult, because that's what we believe the Lord Jesus Christ commanded. Once you become a Christian, because of what baptism represents, you are to be baptized after that. And so we ask people, just obey. You know, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did in his baptism, and that's what you get to do when you get baptized as an adult. He fulfills all righteousness by identifying with his people. See, in Jesus' baptism, he identifies with sinners. All the people of Israel going out and confessing that they're sinners, and Jesus goes out and is numbered among them, even though he hasn't ever transgressed. Let's read Isaiah 53. This is a song written 700 years approximately before Jesus about him. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So Jesus fulfills all righteousness by identifying with sinners like you and I. By coming out to be you know, baptized, he's saying, I'm amongst you. I'm a human like you. You are my people that I have come to save. He fulfills all righteousness by actually completing the ministry of John. You know, John was fulfilling the Isaiah 40 prophecy of the one who would cry out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. By Jesus being baptized by John, Jesus is actually fulfilling that command. John is preparing the way, and now the Lord is here, and everyone can see him. And he fulfills all righteousness by beginning the job he came to do. He begins redemptive history. or yeah, He continues it, but he begins a new chapter in redemptive history. And this is really the main point of this passage, and it leads us to the next number of verses. That Jesus fulfills all righteousness by being inaugurated for his mission. So what happens next? Well, let's check it out in verse 16. And, it, you know, he kind of, Matthew skips the details here. We don't know, actually know exactly how it happened, but he says, and when Jesus was baptized. Now, we don't know if he went face first, back first, you know, fully under the water, how long he went, all that it looked like. We know there was likely a crowd, a ton of people around watching. But Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is baptized and placed under the River Jordan. If you know anything about Bible history, the River Jordan is the river that the Israelites crossed to go into the promised land. Jesus is the true Israel who's crossing through the Jordan River to bring his people into the eternal promised land. And this is what happens next. Immediately he, that is Jesus, went up from the water and behold, you know, and this is a sight to behold, the heavens were opened to him. No idea what that looked like. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
is an incredible and holy moment. This is probably the first time in all of Scripture that we see the Trinity, the triune God who has been eternally existent. You know, there's always been Father, there's always been Son, there's always been Spirit. But this is the first time in human history that we get to see the Trinity on public display. It's an incredible, holy moment. We see the Holy Spirit descend from the heavens like a dove which echoes back to Genesis 1 when the Spirit hovered or brooded over the waters like a bird and creation came forth. Well, now we're going to see new creation come forth. It kind of mimics the dove in the ark you know, with Noah. When they finally found land, the dove never came back. It was a symbol of hope that the new world was coming. And now at the dawn of new creation, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. He was with him at conception, but now there's a special outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on his Holy One. And then a voice from above booms, you know, and I I don't know how God said this exactly, and I assume he boomed um, because, you know, as a father with my sons, I love and glory and enjoy my son. So I imagine the Lord saying, you know, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, you know, this joy and beautiful moment. A holy moment. The Father delighting in His Son. They've always loved each other from all eternity. They've been together in perfect unity and joy. And now He delights in Him before Jesus goes out to bring all the lost children home. And the Father delights in Him publicly. You know, Jesus was a man. He was God and man. And you can imagine that at the beginning of his ministry, before he was about to face all that he was going to face, this would have deeply encouraged him. This was a moment where he had communion, direct communion, like he's always had for all eternity with the Father again. He heard the Father's voice. I don't know what it's been like for you in your life, but there's key times, and my dad's here over there, um, and key times where when you have your father's approval and it's vocal and it's joyful and it's unreserved, amazing, you know, you feel on top of the air. My dad was very good at both the vocal approval and the vocal encouragement to not bowl down the leg side or, you know, (laughs) keep my head up while batting. He was, Riley, put your head down. That was my dad. But he was also just as vocal when we were doing amazing things and he would cheer us on and hug us and kiss us. That's that moment for the Lord Jesus here. But this is not just a cool moment. You know, this isn't just a theatrical moment for the world to see. Now, there's a a depth to this moment, biblically and theologically too. You see, as I said before, this is Jesus' inauguration for ministry. This is his ordination. So what is he inaugurated to do? What is he ordained? What is the mission or what is kind of the bestowal that's put upon him in this moment? Three things. Firstly, he's crowned Messiah King. By being baptized and affirmed by the Father, he's crowned the Messiah. These words, you know, my son whom I'm well pleased, actually refer back to Psalm 2. Now, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, the first Psalm tells you how to be the true Israelite. The second Psalm gives you this prophecy and this image of God the King ruling the world. And now we see that God the King is going to rule the world through Jesus. Let's read Psalm 2. And you'll see the the pickup of what the Father is saying. 
I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus in this moment is inaugurated as that Messiah King to rule the earth as the anointed one of God. You are my son. You are the one who will fulfill Psalm 2. Secondly, so he's crowned as Messiah King. He's anointed, number two, as suffering servant. The crazy thing about Christianity is that it's not just a triumphant, victorious message. The way to triumph through the Lord Jesus Christ is through suffering, pain, torture, and death. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see these two themes applied. God is going to come victoriously and rule, but the one who's going to do it is going to be a suffering servant. And so when the Holy Spirit falls upon Jesus in this moment, it fulfills, again, Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah, in chapter 42 to chapter 55, has all these songs about the suffering servant who will liberate his people. And the first one is in 42 verse 1, and it says this. Look at this. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. This is the Lord speaking. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So Jesus, in this moment, when the spirit comes upon him and the father extols in him, is fulfilling Isaiah 42. It's like God is saying, he is the suffering servant. He will bring justice. How? By bearing my just wrath on the cross, although they don't know this yet. And they're going to see it in the next three years, that the way God brings justice to the earth in the first place is not through setting up an army and a political sphere and democracy or anything like that. He brings justice by pouring out his wrath on his son to bring back wayward rebels like you and I. That's how God gets justice done through a suffering servant who was crowned Messiah King. And finally, the third thing that happens in this moment is that Jesus is empowered for his mission. See, Jesus has three years of intense ministry, and he is a man, God and man. He needs the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he's been called to do, just like you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do all that we've been called to do. Same for the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Spirit falls upon him, he's being clothed with new power. Which if you read the Gospel of Luke, that's how Luke describes it. And Luke describes multiple times that Jesus went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And then he connects it in the book of Acts with the same terminology for his church. Read, and this fulfills Isaiah 61. Read these verses. What is his mission? What has he come to do? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So Jesus is filled with the Spirit to start accomplishing this task. He heals the sick. He releases those who are bound in chains to sin, Satan, and death. He 
literally frees people from demonic oppression. He makes the lame walk. He gives the eye at the blind sight. And he brings justice to the nations by bearing God's justice on himself. And he brings this joyful kingdom that we now share in. So, a year ago, I was ordained. <laughs> it was good. But this moment, you know, in the, the, the cosmic reality of what is happening here has changed human history and all of eternity forever. The Messiah has come. He's crowned my son. The Lord said to my Lord, you know, that moment. He's anointed as the suffering servant. And he's empowered for his mission. And so the whole first three chapters of Matthew's gospel, and if you're new and joining, you would sense this, and you won't sense this anticipation. But for those of us who've been here each week, each week we've been hearing, who is this guy? What's he come to do? This is who he is. 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 And now, finally, it's like Matthew is saying, and the Lord God is saying, he is here. This is him, the one you have waited for, the hope of the world, the king of glory, the suffering servant. The Father saying, look to Him, follow Him, obey Him, trust Him, love Him, enjoy Him. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the Savior. He is the suffering servant. He is the Son of God. And He will save you, restore you, and redeem you. And therefore... The Father, as the Father delights in the Son, He invites you to delight in the Son with Him. To rejoice in Jesus Christ, your Savior. To delight in Him, to trust in Him, and to follow Him. You know, a year ago as a church, um, we launched with this mission statement. That we're a church passionate about knowing, applying, and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We have that mission statement because we want to be in line with the Father. The Father delights in the Son and what the Son has come to do to save sinners. And so we're a church that is all about Jesus because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our Savior. Our first sermon was on 1 Corinthians 2.2. I preach Christ and Him crucified and nothing else is what Paul is saying there. So we've got one message as a church. We've got one hope as a church. We've got one person we look to. And this stage that, you know, God has set with Jesus being baptized by, the, by John, coming out of the river, the heavens opening, the dove descending, the Father booming, it's all pointing back to Jesus. And that's the call, the mission, the privilege, and the joy of every preacher, pastor, and follower of Jesus Christ, and the call of every church in the world is to magnify Jesus Christ and make him known. Enjoy him, spread him, share his love and peace with the world. That's what's happening in this baptism. The beginning of all of our hope is about to start coming into fruition. So as a church, in one year in, we're all about Jesus. Two years in, we're going to be all about Jesus. Ten years in, we're all about Jesus. Every church we plant, all about Jesus because Jesus has come. His ministry began here and it went out from here to all the corners of the world to bring all those who are in chains and lost and broken and in need of restoration to himself. 
All those children you can hear running up there, they need Jesus. Our city needs Jesus. And so, friends, delight in him again. Be refreshed in his love again and start to share him with as many people as you can again. So why is Jesus baptized? Well, he's baptized so that he can fulfill all righteousness, so that he can be inaugurated for ministry, that the work of redemption can begin, and so that we, so that we can become righteous in him. And that leads us to point number two. Point number one, Jesus' baptism inaugurated. Point number two, our baptism. He was baptized so that we can be unified with him. Point number two, our baptism. Remember back to the beginning of the passage. Remember how John was confused and thinking, why am I baptizing you? Shouldn't you be baptizing me? And John was right. He just had his timing wrong. Right? Okay, you know, he isn't worthy, obviously, to baptize Jesus Christ, but he had to do it because to fulfill all righteousness. But John had the right heart. He understood that he is greater and I am lesser. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest job possible to carry the sandals of someone else. Dirty, rotten, stinking sandals in the Middle East, you know. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. So John had the right idea. I'm not meant to be baptizing you because John was humble. He realized he was a sinner and he was with God himself. But Jesus said, let it be so now because something was going to change. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus goes, he lives for three years in perfect submission to the Father. He submits even unto the point of death, crucified on a cross for all of your and my sin. And it looks like hope is gone. But then gloriously, three days later, up out of the water, you know, up out of the grave, Jesus rises again into new and eternal life. And he's given the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. That's what happens after Jesus is baptized. And then the last thing that Jesus does before he ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he rules and reigns and ordains and governs all that is happening right now, including this very moment, this is what he says. He, he promises what John promised, that I will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's read the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, this is all the disciples back in Galilee, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, in John's baptism, uh, well, Jesus' first baptism and the one he institutes, there's a lot of similarities. Firstly, you see the Trinity in both. Remember, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present when Jesus was baptized. And then when Jesus sends out his disciples to make new followers of him, he says, go and baptize them into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see that Jesus' ministry begins and ends with baptism. There's these beautiful bookends to his life and ministry. 
And in our baptism, you know, the, as we're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it means that we enter that holy moment as God's family. For all those who are baptized into Christ, you are a son or daughter of the Father. You have the Holy Spirit empowering you for life and ministry, a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And just like Jesus identified with us, numbered with the transgressors, when we are baptized and we go under the water and rise again, we now identify with him. And God applies to us what he did to Jesus on the cross. We die to sin. This is what baptism represents. Us dying to sin as we go under the waters and rising to new life as we come up out of the waters. That's what Romans 6 teaches us. And so there's this beautiful symmetry that Jesus identifies and now we identify with him. And so what Jesus is getting done by being baptized the first time is his mission begins so that you and I can be baptized which symbolizes the fact that we are now united with him forever. His baptism, first of all, or his first baptism brings about what enables us to be baptized and to be born again into living hope. It's a beautiful and incredible reality. It's a symbol of a glorious truth. That when you name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are unified with him, completely identified. His death to sin is your death to sin, your actual death. It's paid for once for all. And your resurrection is just like Jesus rose from the dead, you have risen to new life and will never die again. You will be resurrected on the last day. He was baptized to inaugurate his ministry so that when we're baptized, we can be unified with him. So how do we respond to this, you know, these crazy truths and the Old Testament passages and all that's happening? How, what's the proper response that we ought to do as we listen here this afternoon? Well, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, humble yourself before Jesus like John did. Recognize that you aren't worthy even to carry Jesus' sandals. We're sinners. John was a sinner. The people of Israel were sinners. They were following the, the Bible. They were following the temple way, but they knew that they weren't right with a holy God. They needed to repent. So friends, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, may I plead with you and commend to you, repent and be baptized into Jesus and share in his death and resurrection and experience the joy and the peace and the hope of eternal life. If you're not yet baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized as a believer, let me encourage you, get baptized. The Lord Jesus commanded that all those who follow him should be baptized. It doesn't save you, it doesn't make you a Christian, but it's a sign and a seal, just like when you get married, you put on a wedding ring to say, hey, I'm married to that person out there who's not in the service, my beautiful wife, Mary. Maddie, this ring says, I'm married to her. It's a symbol of what's already taken place, that we are united. And if you were baptized as a child, I believe that was a, a beautiful baby dedication where you got wet, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't the real thing. And because baptism symbolizes that you died with Christ and rose again, but unless you were a believer as a baby, uh, which 
that's an amazing miracle if you were, um, then it was like a, a fake ceremony. Um, it wasn't the real deal. And so I encourage you, if you're not yet baptized as a believer, get baptized. You can do it today, you know. <laughs> Spontaneous baptism, if anyone, you know, if I know you and you want to get baptized, I know your confession, I will baptize you today if someone wants to do it. I'm just going out on a limb. Um, but I will reject you if I don't think you're a true Christian because I wouldn't want to do that to you. But if you are a follower and you haven't been baptized, please, get baptized. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He obeyed and was baptized. And so you too ought to do that as a sign of your allegiance to Christ. And if you have been baptized, let this be a symbol and a reminder of what you have entered into. As we see Jesus go down and under, uh, under and up in the text, and as we're about to see our friends Jordan and John go under and up, be reminded that you at one time were far away from God, headlong into hell, awaiting the justice and judgment of God. You know, John said that the winnowing fork of Jesus is in his hand and he will separate the wheat from the chaff and the chaff will be thrown into the eternal fire to be burned. That was you. That's what the text says. That's what some of the harshest words of Jesus and it's all throughout the New Testament. That was you. That was me. Yet by God's grace, at one point you were convicted of your sin. At one point you were like John the Baptist and you said, he is greater, I am lesser. I need to be baptized by you. You went under the water, you came up out of them and it symbolized that you were dead and now you're alive and that you're an eternal being and one day you will be ruling and reigning with Christ. You're a co-heir, you're an inheritor. The kingdom is yours. Be encouraged this afternoon that if you are a baptized believer, all that this represents is still true for you. No matter the sin that you've done, no matter the ways that you've failed since becoming a believer, it's still true. Because that's the beauty of the gospel. It's once for all time. You don't have to make it up to God. You don't have to do anything to change his heart towards you. He demonstrated it at the cross where he sent his son to die for you. And so be encouraged. Your sins are washed away. You are clean and you have heaven awaiting you. It's a beautiful reality. I remember the first time when I was really convicted that I was a sinner in need of saving. I was about 16, and it changed my life forever that God was kind enough to reveal to me that I needed Him, that I didn't just believe in Him, but I needed Him. It changed me to love Him, enjoy Him, and be passionate for Him. Friends, be encouraged today. The Father is all about the Son, and He wants you to be too. He wants you to be bold and joyful and passionate. He wants you to be spreading the name of Jesus Christ wherever you go. One year in as a church, we're all about Jesus. <laughs> Ten years in, we're all about Jesus. Because in Jesus' baptism, He was inaugurated for the mission, the mission of saving the world. So that when we are baptized, we are united with him. It's a symbol of that. So let's pray. And then we're going to hear some awesome testimonies from our friends. We're going to baptize them and then we're going to sing. So join me in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that your son Jesus was obedient to your will and was baptized, inaugurated for mission. And then he went out and obeyed unto death. We thank you that we 
through your Son, have died to sin and are alive in Christ. We thank you that we now have your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have the kingdom of heaven awaiting us. And so, Lord, I ask that you convict all those here who haven't yet decided to follow you. Convict them of their sin and their need of salvation. And may they rest in you today. For those, Lord, who haven't yet been baptized, give them the courage to obey and the conviction from your spirit and your word. For those who are being baptized, would you encourage them as they participate in this glorious reality? And for those who have been baptized, Lord, would you help us to be refreshed and to enjoy this incredible picture of our salvation and all that you have done? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.